We're at that point in our service where we reflect on a portion of Scripture, and consi uh, consistent with many churches throughout the world, we are doing an Advent series focusing on the coming of Christ, but looking at it through the lens of Jesus being the fulfilled, promised one of the Old Testament. Every story whispers His name is our series. We have a long dual text from both the Old and New Testament talking about Jacob's ladder. And so here to read the relevant portions of Scripture which are in your bulletin is Dylan. Dylan. Right. Okay, Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there at night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. John 1, verse 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's Christmas season. I have now received over 40 emails about Giving Tuesday. 
Wikipedia is hunting me down for another donation. My annual Christmas staff day excursion to the curling rink has just been completed. My back muscles are threatening to divorce me. My social calendar is bullying me. My basement is flooded, and my bank account is considering pressing charges against me. And my lists of gifts to buy is afflicting me. It must be Christmas. It must be Christmas because the distractions are multiplied. My mind is everywhere, and so, by the way, is yours. Welcome to Christmas season, the most exhausting 40-something day sprint in almost every Torontonian's calendar. Why do we do this? Why has Christmas become this defining epicenter of our year, this whirlwind of meals and parties and cards and candies and gifts, exams and meetings and exhaustion and groaning? Why? Because. Because a couple thousand years ago, God came down and appeared to us and walked the earth clothed in human nature and became one of us because God came down and died for us. A story so startling that people could not believe it, remaining the most astonishing story in human history, a story so intuitively hard to believe that millions, perhaps billions today, consider it a myth. Except it isn't. It's the truth. All of history has changed because God came down and appeared to us, and He wants to come down to us right now where we are, whether we're on our couches, watching by live stream, whether we're in the pews right now. He wants to come down to us now, and He wants to come into the whirlwind of your party list, your to-do list, your gift list, your social calendar, and your distractedness and meet with us, come yune with us, speak to us, speak peace to us. And who are you and I to deserve that? Nobody really. We're nobodies really from nowhere, going we're not sure where, hoping to wrangle some kind of meaning and purpose and happiness out of these 80 or 90 years that we call our lives. That's really our story. But our story meets his story at Christmas. And Jesus promises to meet us here in the midst of the chaos and treadmill of our lives because he met us here before. That's why Christmas is the epicenter. That's why Christmas is worth stopping and taking the distractedness of all of that out of our lives and focusing on this, because these stories tell us this, God came down, God will come down and meet us here. These texts tell us that Jesus is exactly the kind of God the world was not looking for. I'll say that again, was not looking for, because he's the opposite of the typical type of God you and I and they expect and expected. The God we expect is the God who sits in some kind of holy disapproval away from us, waiting for us to crawl to him in repentance or climb some stairway to heaven. No. As we will see, he's the God who comes down that stairway, who indeed is that stairway. 
and meets us in the middle of our nowhere and makes us a people of glory. In John 1, Jesus meets a man named Nathaniel. He appears here as a man from nowhere, hardly mentioned after this, so anonymous in the gospel stories. Some scholars think that it's actually another name for the disciple Bartholomew. He comes from Cana, just a small area up north in Nowheresville, near the Sea of Galilee, near another Nowheresville named Nazareth. He, it's like a guy from Fergus complaining about a guy from Walkerton, Can anything good come out of Walkerton? Can anything good come out of Nazareth, he says? He's a skeptic. So when Philip comes to Nathanael and says, we found the man who seems to be the Messiah, promised from all of God's history in the Old Testament, the prophets and Moses, Nathanael goes, meh. Messiah is supposed to come from somewhere else, a place called Bethlehem, not Nazareth. And Philip says, come and see. So Nathanael comes to see, and Jesus says to him, I have seen you. Before Philip came to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus was not there. Nathanael knew Jesus was not there, and Nathanael is astonished because this is a miracle. And so Nathanael responds in joy and in wonder and astonishment. He calls him the king of Israel the Son of God. Jesus looks at him and says something even stranger than that last one. He says, really? You will see heaven opened, and you will see angels ascending and descending on me. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the story of Jacob. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Jacob here is on the way to find a wife, but he's really on the run to save his life. Jacob is now known as a deceiver, a manipulator, and a liar. In the chapters before this, Jacob has manipulated Esau out of his birthright, his position as the firstborn son who gets double the inheritance, and then he's stolen the blessing from their father Isaac by pretending to be Esau. His nickname, Jacob the liar, Jacob the deceiver. Esau planning now to kill him. His mom comes to him and says, get away. Take your father's advice. Get away. Go to your distant relatives. And this is where we meet Jacob, a man in the middle of nowhere with a reputation shredded for his own deceit. He's not trying to climb, by the way, any stairway to heaven. He's running from death threats trying to find a wife who is Jewish so he can keep his inheritance, headed for some relatives he doesn't really know. Jacob the liar, Jacob the runner, Jacob in the middle of nowhere, fleeing the consequences of his own wrong in the middle of the wilderness alone. And the Hebrew words here, they keep repeating a phrase that he is He is in some random place. And here, in the middle of nowhere, some random place, morally nowhere, Jacob the liar, the deceiver, and the manipulator, this man meets God, or rather, God comes and reveals himself to this man. And here we get to see our first point, and that is this. God will meet you in your sin. God loves sinners 
and meets sinners in their sin. God is appearing to Jacob, not when Jacob is climbing some stairway to try and meet him, not when Jacob is crawling back in some kind of repentance. God is meeting Jacob in the midst of Jacob running away from his sin, the consequences of his sin, really from God. God chases after him in love, appears to him unasked and unexpected. This, men and women, is Christmas. Because this is the God of Christmas. He comes to us as we are in the midst of our sin, our selfishness, our corruption, our deceit, because he loves us the way we are in our sin. As we'll see, he doesn't leave us there, but he loves us there and chases us and meets it. Over 2,000 years ago, in a world dominated by the Roman Empire in the West, the three kingdoms era in China, the, three, the Middle Kingdoms era in subcontinental India, the three kingdoms era in Korea, in that period, over 2,000 years ago, God came down into human history as Jesus Christ to meet all of us where we are. He became one of us, one with us when we did not ask for him, did not expect him, did not cry out for him. That is what happened to Jacob. That's what Jesus did for us. And we see it in the story of Nathaniel, a microcosmic snapshot of just that. Nathaniel comes to him skeptical, unimpressed, doubtful. And Jesus says to that man from nowhere, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now for us, that's, oh, that sounds kind of Shakespearean. No, 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 no. That's just translator stuff. The original Jewish person, Nathaniel would have heard, behold, an Israelite, Israel, name of Jacob, a, a child of Jacob, a Jacobite, a descendant of Jacob indeed, in whom there is no lying. Oh yeah, Jacob was a liar. He's bringing me back to my ancestry. I come from a liar and a runner. Jesus is saying, you come a little bit like Jacob. Skeptical, unimpressed, unbelieving. And I want to tell you, before you came here, because Philip asked you to come, I saw you. God loves sinners in the midst of their sin. He loves us in the middle of our running and he's willing to meet us there. Are you running from God in any way? I tell you, if you are not yet a Christian, part of your doubt is a desire not to be accountable, not to give up control. Part of your skepticism is actually rebellion. I need you to have the intellectual and moral honesty to see that. You who are Christians, it's the same for us. Part of our struggles are just simply that we're running from God and the good news of Christmas is God runs after us. Secondly, we'll look at the dream because the dream shows that God doesn't just meet us in our sin, he blesses us despite our sin. So Jacob dreamed and he saw this ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. You know, God's showing Jacob, well, ladder isn't the best Hebrew word. It's, it's a very tough word. It's the only time this word is used. Uh, it has cognates in other languages. So we guess from those cognates, it's a lot like the kind of staircase that was being created in the story of the Tower of Babel, the ziggurat, kind of a staircase to reach up to heaven. Or 
it, and this is why I think they use the word ladder here in, in other languages. It's used for the kind of thing that you roll up when you're attacking a walled city so you can scale the city. Kind of a ladder, like if you saw Lord of the Rings, the ladders that the Urukai grew. That's where that word comes from. But what is meant to be, the problem with ladders, it's hard to go up and down. This is something that you're capable of going up and down at the same time. That's what he's seeing. So picture, you know, the Eaton Center, and you're sitting there, and you're looking at the up and down escalator, except it's not going to the next floor, and it's going to heaven. And it's not just Eaton Centerites on it. It's angels. This is the gateway to another dimension. This is the gateway to the throne of God. This is where God interacts with humanity. And angels who are primarily messengers of God are those who come back and forth from God spreading his message to humans. That's, that's the way Jacob would have understood it. But God is also there. It says God is over it. Now, another tricky Hebrew word because this word over can mean on top of, which many translations including this one seem to suggest, or... It can mean prioritized over, in authority of. I'm over you. I'm your boss. So God is either at the top of the staircase or recent scholars are thinking more and more it's this, like Victor Hamilton. God is standing in authority over the stairway to heaven, but God is standing somewhere near and beside Jacob. Those are the two options. I'll tell you later why the story of Jesus makes me think it's God beside him. Now let's finish the scene. God looks at Jacob the liar and pronounces the blessing. The blessing I gave Abraham, the one who had faith and was credited to God as righteousness, this great hero. The blessing I promised to Isaac, his son, the promised miracle child, is the same blessing I'm giving to you, the liar, the manipulator, the deceiver, the runner. Even though you don't deserve it, you and through you shall come the great nation of Israel and to you shall come all the blessings I promised to your father and your grandfather. Men and women, this is unimaginable grace, unconditional grace, unimaginable promises given without any condition except the condition of love and grace. Grace undeserved, unmerited, blessing despite his wrong, blessing despite his sin, blessing despite our darkness. This is gospel grace. Stop and meditate for a moment because it's not just the grace of these promises of inheritance. It's God right beside me promising intimate access to me. God has just opened up a gateway into his presence. He's speaking to Jacob To see this gateway alone, to see the staircase alone is amazing. To see God is amazing. To see, have God talk to you, crazy. What kind of God comes that near to you in the depth of your sin? The kind of God who becomes a human and allows all kinds of selfish, corrupt, broken people to spit on him mock him, torment him, reject him, arrest him, torture him, and crucify him. When we look at the Nathaniel story, we see that man, 
who did all of that, Jesus standing beside Nathanael, uttering these words, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending to earth, no, upon the Son of Man. The angels are not ascending and descending to earth as in Jacob's picture. They are ascending and descending upon Jesus himself. Jesus is saying, I am the gateway to God. I am the mediator between heaven and earth. I am the one upon whom all interchange between heaven and earth hinges and goes through. And I am beside you, like you, with you as a human. I am both Jacob's stairway to heaven and the God of heaven himself come down all the way to earth to stand with you and beside you, and then eventually to take the judgment due you. And I pronounce upon you a blessing. One day you will see this, the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When is that day? The day when you see me hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The day you see me cursed and rejected on your behalf, groaning in the agony of crucifixion, and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who was forsaken, that you might be blessed. Then risen from the dead physically, with wounds still visible on my risen body, when I rise from the dead after all these miracles and compassion and death, the world will know that I and the emissary come down from God. I am the angel of the Lord, God's son, the one who came to pay the debt of your sin, and it is finished. God came all the way down and met Jacob the liar and pronounced a blessing on him despite his sin. Jesus came all the way down and met Nathanael the skeptic and promised him despite his skepticism a blessing. And God comes down to every single one of us and says, it is finished for you. Now inherit and receive the blessing by faith. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Stop for a moment. Put aside your crazy schedule for a moment. Put aside the to-do list. Put the phone down. Put aside all those things in your mind and stop and think on this one thing. God, the God of the universe, is so filled with grace and love, he will not only chase after you and meet you in your sin, he goes to the cross so that he may pronounce a blessing upon you despite your sin. Who does that for you? Who died for you recently? A brother, a friend, how about the God of the universe who looks your sin in the eye, sees your faults at the deepest level, and yet chooses out of the depths of their love to shower this kind of blessing upon you? Who? Better still, who looks your sin in the eye and chooses to die for you? The God who is here now. The God who was there with Jacob, the God who was there with Nathaniel is the God who is here right now, willing to shower grace upon your sin if you will bring your sin to him and let him in. God comes to you and meets you while you're running from him. God loves you in your sin. God loves you and blesses you despite your sin. Jesus came and spread grace to those who deserve judgment. Finally, God loves us enough to transform us out of our sin. He really does care about sin, you see it. 
in blessing us despite our sin, he's not overlooking sin. He will pour all of his judgment on sin out upon his son, Jesus. But here in the story of Jacob, he says to Jacob, you will be a blessing to the nations. All the nations shall be blessed through you. He is setting aside Jacob. I am giving you this blessing that I gave Abraham and Isaac so that you may be a blessing. You get so you may be a blessing. I'm setting you aside to be a blessing to the world. Men and women, that's what God is calling us to do. He gives us the blessing of Jesus that we may bless the world with the message of Jesus. Jacob gets it. Look at his response. He says, the Lord is here. And he says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so I come back to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. This is a conversion moment. Kind of like the one Crystal had not so long ago. The language here is a bit tricky. The translation sounds like Jacob is saying, if you will do this for me, I will make you my God. No, in the original Hebrew, in this context, it's clear. He's not saying, I will choose God. He's saying, I will know God has chosen me. I like golf. And I once heard about this contest that if you entered into it, you got to play around with Tiger Woods. <laughs> well, I imagine that I'd won that contest and I'd Thought to my, you know, we daydream sometimes. You daydream about more important things. I daydream about these things. I do daydream that I won the contest and I get to go around going, hey man, I'm playing with Tiger Woods next week. <laughs> Which person I'm saying that to would believe that I chose Tiger? None. Now, if I said I was playing with you or you or someone from the congregation, you go, okay, it's probably mutual. You both decided to do it. But if I said I was playing tiger, with Tiger Woods, they would know that I'd won some contest and he had chosen me. That's the context here. Jacob's saying, God has revealed himself to me. If he keeps revealing himself by getting me safely on this journey and back to my father's, I will know truly that he has chosen me to be my God and I'm his. This is the first, this is his conversion moment and this is Nathaniel's conversion moment, we believe. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This actually, intriguingly, is the first recorded seeming full convert to Jesus in the Gospels. His declaration is full-throated. We don't know if he totally understands what he says, but you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Those words can fit into you are a human Messiah, but those words admit to, and in light of what we know about Jesus, are declarations of something far greater. He's God come down so that we can come and see the grace of God for you and for me. This is what God does, men and women. This is why Christmas is so central. He loves us so much that he loves us enough to loving him back. He loves us enough to pull us out of our selfishness and our sin and sets us aside to be a blessing. This Christmas, stop. Pause. Put away the to-do list. Don't look at Google Calendar. Don't look at your bank account. Stop and think about this. This is about God's love for you. His chasing, gracious and forgiving, transforming love for you. Prefigured in the story of Jacob, manifested clearly and finally in the story of Jesus, offered universally to every one of us. 
He will meet you in your sin. He will bless you despite your sin, and he will transform you out of your sin if you will let him. Let him. Secondly, if you are already a Christian, meditate daily on Jesus. The Jesus who is the consummation of Jacob's ladder, who is the fulfillment of all the longings and promises of God in the Old Testament, who is the gateway to God, who comes down and gives his life for you. Take a moment every day and put that into your Google Calendar that you will take time to meditate. Consider this moment. God loved you. Consider this Jesus, the God who loves you, and consider your calling. You are called to be a blessing. What can you do this season to be a blessing to the world you inhabit, the city you reside in, and the people you know? Who can you tell, come and see about Jesus? Whom can you, what pillar of blessing can you leave? What, what needy person can you help? What organization can you give to financially? What can you do to be a blessing? For you have been blessed to be such a blessing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I give you all the honor and all the glory for your goodness to us. We are yours and you are ours because of grace. Thank you for meeting us when we weren't even looking for you. Thank you for forgiving us when we didn't deserve it. And thank you for changing us into people that look more like you. Thank you for Christmas. Help us to make the real meaning of Christmas the central thing in our Christmas season. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand for this song of response.